0: You are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. another episode of Pharmacy IT&Me, and as with every episode, we start off this one standing at the intended audience is everybody. And today we'll be speaking with our special guest, and my actual classmate from pharmacy school is uh, Dr. Jason Leibowitz, on what his role is in the pharmacy technology and informatics and actually sales world. So thank you so much again for taking some time to be on the podcast, Jason. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Tony. I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. I guess for the listeners, can you tell them a little bit about yourself and, you know, just where you are today and how you got there?
1: Yeah, happy to do that. As Tony, as you mentioned, you know, it's been some years since we graduated, completed our PharmDs from USC, and since completing that pharmacy education, I've done a few different things from management consulting to software sales to now supporting my company's medical affairs team as a medical science liaison, interacting with clinicians in the field. So I've been a field-based employee for the past five years, and today supporting the diabetes care and digital health business for Beckton Dickinson, or BD.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, so BD is a big like health company that's also very involved with technology. And I guess what kind of made you decide that you wanted to delve into uh, moving towards the health IT side of things?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think it's interesting to see the evolution of healthcare over the years. And I guess the decision to go into IT was made for me when a recruiter picked off my background on LinkedIn about five years ago, next month, he found my background in clinical and management consulting, doing strategic marketing, developing strategy decks and launch plans for pharma companies and working in antimicrobial stewardship a bit. This opportunity to move into a large healthcare technology company based out of San Diego called CareFusion really appealed uh because the the technology, the software, that this role was focused on was largely for antimicrobial stewardship, tracking infections, tracking resistance, and then tracking antibiotic use and resistance in, in the inpatient setting. And so with that role, I joined a data mining analytics and reporting tool with this large technology company, and I was responsible for sales in the Western part of the United States.
0: So let's uh, talk a little bit about your time doing sales for, you know, antimicrobial applications. So how were you approaching that with your pharmacy background? And I guess just in a more general sense, why is it important, do you think, to have a clinical pharmacy background when you're doing tasks like what you did in sales?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. and almost kind of nostalgic or, or deja vu pulling back to 2014 2014. When you know the company actually made a decision taking into account the last four or five years back to 2010, as this software had some growing pains and some challenges out there in the field, they found that the reps, the what they called sales consultant, were having some trouble relating to the customer. The customer being pharmacy departments, pharmacists, directors of pharmacy, talking about infection control, infectious disease, physicians, and pharmacists, being able to relate with software that tied very closely into the workflow, the clinical workflow of the departments and of hospital operations. To have someone without a clinical background going in there and spouting off the latest, you know, marketing messages, it didn't really. It wasn't the most effective, and it didn't bring value to the buyer. Considering the different systems, if all that was talked about was what the one pager, the marketing materials said, and so what the organization did was decided to realign the entire sales force to bring in folks with a clinical background to be able to have those discussions, to be able to discuss interventions, opportunities to improve medication safety, to eliminate waste in the institution, to identify infection better. And be able to support the quality improvement and face the improvement objectives of the organization. And so it's not like coming in with a widget with that needle or like a syringe or coming in with, you know, the, the, a new, let's say, tech platform employee badge scanning. Instead, it's a very consultative approach. So you go in, you ask a lot of questions, you understand what the challenges are in the institution. Is antimicrobial resistance a challenge? Is identifying infection a challenge? Working with the staff to ensure that they wash their hands. Are MRSA and c and readmissions related to these infection challenges to the institution? Because what you find out from that information is why the organization should be budgeting and allocating funds for your software. And so it started with a lot of questions and, again, the consultative approach required a lot of knowledge and a clinical background and a lot of listening so that you could understand what value your software was going to bring, what problems would you going to solve? Because we didn't just sell widgets. We didn't just sell software. We sold a solution, and that solution could be aligned to, to any number of things depending on what the organization and depending on who your customer was.
0: Awesome. So I guess for your, your background in just being a pharmacist, were there any specific scenarios that you experienced where I guess your your customer or your client showed appreciation for having that clinical background in your sales?
1: I mean, when you ask for specific, I could tell you a number of different scenarios where the institution had issues with staffing, with getting uh, having the staff in place to be able to improve the let's just say the the sample collection for C right? If you take too many samples when patients first admitted, and let's say they have diarrhea, If you're testing C. diff too much, you're going to have too many costs. Let's say you just wait on testing C. diff when a patient's admitted and you wait till day three or four, and that's the first time someone notices the patient has diarrhea or something of that nature, and the patient has C. diff. Well, after day three or four, it's defined as a hospital-acquired infection. So the differences on the quality performance of the institution are major if there's a process issue, if they should be testing before day three. If there is an outbreak, a MRSA, or let's say you're tracking infections month on month, but you're looking at the whole hospital, maybe your numbers look consistent and your numbers maybe look, look at a, you know X number of infections for the number of beds. But if you actually looked at each unit, nursing unit, you'd notice that those numbers were actually fluctuating. And so being able to pick up those kinds of insights was what the software could bring. And it's not something that many people think about it's not something that someone without a clinical background would be able to understand, but you find that when you're presenting the terminology you use, understanding the customer when they're explaining problems, someone who maybe a little less informed clinically might jump to the marketing material and try to turn it right back around and make promises that didn't exactly solve the problem that the infection control nurse or that the infectious disease physician were really trying to solve so, aligning those those problems with the right solution it could come in so many different ways
0: thank you for sharing that and from my understanding i think you told me that you are also in a program i think at cedars right
1: yeah so so i'll be finishing up a master's program at cedars it's the first class they're graduating in the next well we're graduating in the next month or so the master's project in health delivery science and so health uh, delivery science And digital health. And really, what it pulls in from is uh, it takes academic theory, which may involve applied epidemiology or health outcomes research, cost effectiveness analysis and modeling, Markov models, tornado diagrams, and understanding where maybe what a lab test or a drug should be priced at. They might call it cost sensitivity analysis to understand where the best cost, the best price is for a product giving X efficacy or X. Safety, right? The value that that product brings. Uh, Anything healthcare financing and value. We had a digital health course, and really, what what this academic theory pulls in is with this background, being able to take sort of a a pragmatic problem-solving approach. And it requires team science, shared decision-making among diverse stakeholders, strong interpersonal communication skills. So, being able to communicate effectively with different stakeholders across an organization, which a health system has professionals, highly credentialed professionals, from one from one department to the next. So, how can a multidisciplinary team become high performing when you pull in nursing and pharmacy, administration, maybe a the physician group, which has maybe different financial incentives to perform, especially in today's competitive environment? And so, you know, looking at the tools to integrate new technology and standardize standardize them across a health system and really pulling in the mechanics of American healthcare, healthcare financing with the Affordable Care Act, and taking all of those tools to understand how to effectively evaluate, measure, and recommend new technologies. And so health decision or um, health delivery science is the title of degree. It's a master's, uh, an MS degree in our accredited program. And well, since I'm focused in diabetes care and digital health right now, I'll be doing uh, my master's capstone project focusing on the uh, available insulin titration apps out there, designed to get patients with diabetes Uh, titrated up on their insulin to the appropriate dose to the appropriate insulin dose they're supposed to be on, targeting whatever their glycemic goal or A1C goal is with the provider, because what we find is that despite clear recommendations from the American Diabetes Association, that a vast majority of patients can be on insulin for years and never quite reach their A1C goal. What's nice with this program, and I I kind of stumbled into this program a couple of years ago, and what I was doing when I was in my sales role is looking for ways to bring that blend of sales experience and clinical background maybe to a startup. And so I started looking at the different startups that were out there, going to digital health meetups around what they call Silicon Beach, right? Or uh, Santa Monica, Venice area. A lot of startup activity when Snapchat IPO'd and and everyone, all the millennials folks started moving to the end and a lot of talent. So I started being curious and trying to find maybe the next unicorn digital health startup. It was a little difficult reading through everything, but when Tears presented itself Cedars has an affiliation with Techstars. And Techstars is a general incubator company where startups can go with funding and have a place to work and and with venture funding and and maybe limited funding, go and expand. And Cedars has an exclusive healthcare partnership with Techstars. And so has about 10 startups every year in that program. And so understanding this master's program will have the opportunity to meet and work with a number of these startups along with the academic coursework, the curriculum just seemed like a wonderful opportunity to uh, grow my education and, and keep learning after spending about three or four years in sales.
0: Awesome. Wow. Wow, that's a lot of experience. And I guess you're going through the master's program now and you've had experience in sales and you kind of went through that, a non-traditional route of getting into the health IT field. So, if there was any like students right now that are still in school and they're thinking of going towards that route, or maybe even other pharmacists who kind of was kind of is working a different career path now, but they want to slowly move into health IT. Do you, from your experience, do you have any advice for them?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things, and I met with a couple of students this past weekend at the APHA annual meeting in Seattle, and I think you, you could go a couple about it a, a few a number of ways. For one, if you have it in you and you have Diligence and maybe you have a, a, a computer background uh, or a, a, a tech friendly background, you can start learning how to code, do some basic coding. That's something I haven't done, but you know, I'm always in awe of the folks if you follow on Medium or any of the news sources, free code camp, for example, free code camp, or if you go on Coursera, there's a number of different courses that are supportive for learning to code. I'd also say that if you can get in on a, a health system, or a hospital. Or reach out to your informatics department. In my master's program at Cedars, we get to work with the enterprise IS or information systems team and the EIS physician and getting on projects with them or finding a job in a health system where you can start to have exposure to informatics. Tony, that's right up your alley. But as they are students, that's one path you can take from the coding and informatics exposure. What I did is I wanted to find a pharma company. And in school, I was able to do a managed care internship. Auditing PDMs on behalf of the employers that purchased the pharmacy benefits, ensuring that the pharmacy benefits were actually overseeing the formulary according to what the contract stated they should be approving or, or, or funding for the employees, pharmaceutical ups. That moved into Allergan and did some working goals to teach marketing and health outcomes research. And what that did is it set me up to go into management consulting out of school. You know, the learning curve when you go into consulting is so steep. You learn so much so fast that so you can keep up and start billing out customers, that that was another avenue to take. And so if you go out there and start applying to pharma, you'll find that a lot of pharma companies, which have arguably the most funding for research and innovation among anyone else in the industry, is that these companies, pharma companies, are starting to invest in digital. They're starting to invest in smarter ways to target their reps, to the physicians, to help the reps know their physicians better, understand what messaging physicians like to hear to understand sentiment analysis on Twitter and on Facebook and how the company, the pharma company needs to brand both its drug and itself. And you might see commercials even today I'm from the pharmaceutical manufacturers of America talking about innovation and how it comes from here. And Arguably, our prices for our pharmaceuticals are dramatically higher here than they are a lot of other places. And there's, you know, managed care, dynamics, uh, insurance, landscape is very different here that drive a lot of that. But if you're still in school, you're a pharmacy student, you're looking for ways, you know, you can reach out to folks, you can reach out to people on LinkedIn. You know, it never hurts to introduce yourself. See someone that aligns with your work. Now, don't go and blindly ask for you know, uh, job recommendations or career counseling or things like that from random people on LinkedIn. But if you've taken some initiative, maybe you've focused one of your school projects in an area that you've been curious about. Maybe you've gotten a six-week rotation, at, an eight, at a pharmacy rotation, or if you're in a public health program or you're in some sort of school program, you've gone out and done some research. Maybe you've published in the area. Because there's plenty of resources available online. You can reach out to folks on LinkedIn. You can set up a brief 15, 20-minute calls. But show that person that you're really interested in that you're not going to be wasting their time. And so, you know, you might talk to a dozen counselors or career counselors and folks, and they'll tell you, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's your choice. You know, what do you want to do? And so the only way you're going to know what you want to do is to get involved. I was always involved in school. I always implored my classmates to be involved with me, to go to the industry association meetings to, you know, ISPOR, the International Society for Pharmacoeconomic Economics Outcomes, Pharmacoeconomic Outcomes and Research, ISPOR, you go to these things, AMCP, and you see what's out there. You learn and you see what it's like to work at those jobs. You don't believe after three or four years of graduating how many people add you on LinkedIn after you're in the working world. Because they want to know what you're doing and what they're doing. Maybe working in a retail setting isn't pushing their limits of what they feel they can do and they want to do more. So as a student, you have the chance to learn as much as you can about the jobs that exist out there. And there's been a couple other podcasts, like Coble Patel's podcast and other folks you've had on here that have said very similar things, that you really have to be open-minded and put yourself out there. Conquer your fear to do that. And reach out to your school support staff as well if you have issues or if you have uh, find that to be a struggle. I also tell people, if you think you want to do a residency, I fully support that. I didn't do one. But the clinical experience you get from doing a residency and spending a little more time as a practicing licensed pharmacist is invaluable, even if you want to go into industry.
0: Awesome. That was really good advice. Thank you for that. And, you know, speaking about, you know, how people can uh, reach other people on LinkedIn and things. Do you have a way that people can reach you if they had any questions or maybe career advice or, you know, just even trying to figure out what your day-to-day is? So just want to speak with you a little bit
1: more. Yeah. Well, you know, you can put a link. My LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. You don't have to send me an essay. In fact, when you're reaching out to someone for the first time, usually it's better to be quick and to the point. You want a career advice, point out what you've done and why that contributes to what makes you excited to move to the next step in your career or what you want to learn from me. An informational interview, it shouldn't just be asking for an informational interview. You should explain why you're excited about it or what specifically you would want to talk about. So I get all the notifications and, you know, unless they're just a blind ad and I, someone like a financial advisor or an accountant or someone trying to get my business. If you're looking for advice or guidance, feel free to shoot me an ad, shoot me a quick note. Something like that.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I'll, I'll be putting a link to your LinkedIn in our uh, our show notes so that if anyone's interested, they could reach out to you. But you know, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to uh, be on the show.
1: I'm glad I could be here, Tony, and could share a little more about my background.
0: Yeah, and also good catching up with you again. Anytime, Tony. All right, if you guys uh, like this episode, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also follow us on social media on Twitter or Facebook at Pharmacy IT Me or Instagram at Pharmacy Informatics, or you can email me at Tony at pharmcyitme.com. But you know, thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal.